0: Okay, so, we've been in the middle of talking about the 12 links. We stopped after the third one. So I suppose to make the the mystery um, complete, I I should uh, fill you in on the first three, roughly. You know, like at the beginning of TV show programs, they tell you what happened in the last series. We talked about ignorance. In the Twelve Links, being specifically the attitude that doesn't understand who we are, how we exist, how phenomena exist, that ignorance that grasps at ourselves and other phenomena as having a solid, permanent, rigid essence that exists from its own side. And then due to that ignorance, we generate the disturbing attitudes, of attachment and anger and pride and jealousy, and we act and the action is the second link all those intentions you know mental intentions, mental actions as well as the um the physical and verbal actions that we do these actions although they cease they leave imprints on our consciousness so when we talked about the third link of consciousness it had two parts the causal consciousness which is the one that the imprints are left on and the resulting consciousness which is the consciousness that then takes rebirth. So when we're talking about karma in the second link, we're talking about throwing karma. Remember when we talked about karma we talked about throwing karma and completing karma? Throwing karma was the one that, the one that uh, threw us into a a specific rebirth determined what realm we were born into. Completing karma are The karmas that fill in the, you know, the design. It's like throwing karma creates the outline of the body, and completing karma fills in, you know, where you're born and, you know, um, what happens to you in that life and, you know, different things like that. Okay, So the karma in the second link is the throwing karma because it's the karma that's going to determine which body we're born into, which realm we're born into. Okay? And then the result, so the karma is planted on the the causal consciousness, and then we're planting karma all the time. you know, So we have a lot of different sets of twelve links where we have the ignorance and the karma. And then the causal consciousness, where the karma is planted on. And then the resultant consciousness is the one that is going to take rebirth, you know, the one that is going to be influenced quite directly by that karma, when that karma is ripening and be born into another body, right? Okay. So that's that's the review. This is difficult material, by the way. Okay. Even though it's our own experience. That's what's so weird about it. It's like we've done this so many times that we should be sick of it by now. I mean, we've lived this. We've lived this, and yet it's real hard to understand. Um, yeah? Okay, so then the name and form is the fourth link. Okay, so remember, what did, what did name and form mean? Yeah, mind and body. Okay, so the name is the mind and the form is the body. Okay, so here in the 12 links, it's referring to the name or form, in other words, the mind or the body, which exists in the nature of the diluted ripening of karma, I'll explain what that means, during the time when the branch of consciousness is already present, but that of the six sources has not yet appeared. Okay, so it's... It said it's the body and mind which exists in the nature of the diluted ripening of karma, okay? The diluted ripening of karma refers to, diluted means under the influence of of, um, disturbing attitudes and karma. Okay, that's the meaning of diluted. And ripening of karma, or sometimes it's called ripening aspect, refers to the um, the maturation result. Okay, the body and mind that we're born into. Remember when we studied karma? Each, kar- each uh, thing had, had four results. Remember? You don't remember. Anyway, look at your notes. There were three results, but some, another way of describing them was four. The first one was the maturation result or the ripening result. This is the body that you're born into, the realm you're born into. Okay, so that's what this means here when it says the ripening of karma okay that ripening result yeah and it's diluted because that rebirth is coming about due to the influence of of, um, disturbing attitudes and karma okay so the name and form is in the series of 12 links it's the resulting consciousness was the moment of conception name and form is the next moment right after that but we haven't activated the next link of the six sources yet. So name and form is that little interval, like in in the case of a human uh, rebirth, when we're in the womb, right after we've taken conception, but we haven't developed all of our different capacities to perceive objects. Okay, so right after we've taken conception, you know, when we were little babies, you know, in our mom's womb, right after conception, we, we definitely had mental consciousness, and we had tactile consciousness. We could feel things, you know. Your mother goes jogging, and you can feel blah, 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 you know. And so there's that kind of sensation. But, you know, we're little babies, and, and the the eyes aren't functioning. These things aren't working yet, so we can't see or smell or taste stuff, you know? So that So name and form, it's that, that little plot in there, like right after we've been conceived. Then six sources also happens in the womb, and this is talking about um, okay the six sources. And here the six sources means the six sense doors. Okay, so the six sources which exist in the nature of the diluted ripened ripened aggregates during the time after the branch of name and form has occurred and before the branch of contact has come about. Okay. So it exists in the nature of the diluted ripened aggregates. Remember the the new rebirth that's produced by disturbing attitudes and karma, and it's uh, it's right after the name and form, but before the next a- the next link of feeling. So this is the time when all the senses are developing in the womb. Okay, so. Uh, you know, as the, as the eye organs develop, the, the ear organ is developing, the tongue, the taste, the, the olfactory and the, the um, gustatory organs, whether, you know, whether developing in the womb. And then slowly we begin to be able to use those either in the womb or right after we're born. And those are the doors because they, they enable us to contact the external world. Okay, so we have the five sense doors and then the one mental door, which is all the, all the sense consciousnesses because they're the things that act to stimulate the mental consciousness, you know, because we think about the things that we see, we think about the things that we hear. Okay? Yeah? Okay, then what happens after that, after we've gotten all the six sources, we have all of our sense organs, then what happens is we contact, we contact external objects. Okay, so contact is the diluted thought which experiences the quality of its object due to the convening of the three, the object, source, and consciousness, and which exists which exists during the time after the branch of the six sources has occurred but that of feeling has yet to appear, okay? So contact is the arisal of a sense consciousness through the object being perceived via the sense organ, okay? Okay. Uh, the contact is the arisal of a consciousness due to the object being perceived via the organ. So when I look at the red, you know, I look at the flowers and I see the red, yeah, contact is that thing that's bringing together the redness of the flower, my my um, visual organ and my visual consciousness to produce the perception of red. Okay, because we don't see anything unless there is an object and there's an organ and there's a consciousness. Otherwise, perception doesn't occur. Yeah, if you close your eye, the organ isn't working, so there's no visual consciousness arising. Okay, if there's no object there, then even, you know, you can have the consciousness and your eyes are awake. You're not perceiving anything because there's no object. And if it's a dead body, you might have the organ and you might have the object, but there's no perception because there's no consciousness. So contact happens when you have those three coming together to produce, you know, contact with things. Okay. What about yeah? you're that is um the the mental consciousness. And it, the organ in that case would be the different things maybe that you see or heard that are then contributing to what you're imagining. So, eye consciousness, for example, if you're visualizing something, it's not part of it? Right. If you're visualizing, your, the sense organ, what we call sense organ, would be the eye consciousness, but it's your mental consciousness that's perceiving the thing you're visualizing. But the eye consciousness is acting as what we call the dominant condition because it's the one that actually saw red, which enables you to have the visualization of red afterwards. Okay? okay I'm not sure what, what's the role of the eye consciousness in the, what, is the memory? I still the not No, the eye consciousness produces the visual consciousness, which sees the red, you close your eyes, the eye consciousness isn't working anymore. But because you had a visual consciousness seeing the red, you can now have a mental consciousness imagining the red. Okay? Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. definition starts by the diluted. Yeah. Is there any concept that is not diluted? When we're not under the control of disturbing attitudes and karma, then it's not diluted <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know <laughs> in our state it's like everything's diluted uh-huh. and i mean this this is real i mean this when you really think about this is pretty heavy stuff it's like everything you know everything i'm involved in as long as my mind is is misperceiving things and giving them extra added flavor thinking that they're inherently existent then everything is diluted in that sense and that we're not perceiving things as they are, we're perceiving them through our own filter. Okay, so feeling actually is what arrives after contact because once we have the contact, okay, because the contact experiences the quality of the object, feeling is the thing that, that feels like suffering or pleasure or neutral feeling as a result of the contact. Okay? So feeling doesn't arise if there's no contact that precedes it. And contact doesn't arise if there's no sense organs before it. Okay? So if you have sense organs then you have contact which produce all your consciousnesses and then when we have consciousnesses we automatically get feelings. So we see red and like the mind gets a pleasurable feeling. Okay, or we hear nails going down a, down a chalkboard, and we get an unpleasant feeling. Or you think of your little toe right now, and it's a neutral feeling. I hope you know. I mean, maybe it's pleasurable. That's good. But, um, <laughs> yeah? Discrimination judges it Well, doesn't it? It not doesn't just judge it experiences, and so feeling. A lot of our karma also ripens in feeling because whenever we have unhappy feelings, it's a result of our own negative karma. Whenever we have happy feelings, it's a result of our own positive karma. So feeling arises because there's contact with the object, but then also exactly how we experience that contact, it's diluted in the sense that it's influenced by our past karma okay so again we're not really experiencing things freshly mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. definitely through the, through the influence of our past karma I'm just like mm-hmm. yeah that labeling when when you're doing the breathing meditation and something comes up and you label thinking or you hearing or what that that is a mental consciousness a thought consciousness okay but you can also while you're doing that you can observe the feelings and you'll see pleasant feelings in your body or unpleasant feelings. You don't need to label it and have this little voice in your head that says this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. You kind of know it through your own experience. The advantage of doing that when you're meditating is that you're making your own experience clear to you. Okay? Because often when we aren't aware of our own experience, we're on automatic and then from feeling arises craving. Okay, whereas when you're sitting and meditating, you have a pleasant feeling. If you notice pleasant feeling, then you don't necessarily generate craving after that because you just recognize pleasant feeling for what it is without the mind jumping in and saying, oh, but it's so wonderful, I really have to have more. Yeah, it's bliss, it's good stuff, yeah, <laughs> okay. So, you know, the thing of of the labeling when you're doing the breathing meditation is to help you give some space between the feeling and the craving. Because usually we have a pleasant feeling, and what happens? Right away, crave it. Isn't it? More. More. better, more, better. Yeah? And so this is, I mean, this is the story of our life, isn't it? Yeah? And so from the feeling, which is either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, then we get the next thing, which is craving, okay? And craving says, by depending on the branch of feeling, the thought which by its own power doesn't wish to separate from its object. Now there's different kinds of craving, and this is real interesting um, to look at these different kinds of craving. One is the craving for sense pleasure, okay? So this is the mind that has a ple, you know. We've had a pleasant feeling, the preceding link, and now we crave for the pleasure. Okay, and so we have our whole list of everything we want. Yeah, starting with hot fudge sundae
1: and going
0: down, you know, nice soft bed, hot shower. Right? You came back from India. Hot, maybe hot showers further up on the list. <laughs> yeah, you know? and all the different things that we want. So, you know, the mind's so much involved in craving, wanting, yeah? Not wanting to be separate from a pleasurable object. That's the first kind of craving. The second kind of craving is the craving of fear. And this is the craving that wants to be separated from the undesirable objects, okay? So this is the mind that when you've had a really difficult day, says that's it all over you know <laughs> it's like I'm getting out of here nobody bug me anymore okay you know that one um, it, it's like I've had enough you know I, I can't stand this anymore I crave to be separate from it okay so that's another kind of craving I want to be released we want to be free from the unpleasant feeling uh, and then the third kind of craving is the craving of life. And this is the one that happens at death time. This is the one that with um, a a big kind of a lot of fear comes of like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm dying. I'm separating from this body. I'm separating from my mind and my whole ego structure and this whole identity I've built up for myself all this time. What am I going to be? And it's like panic. Okay? So it craves. It craves for life. It grasps onto this feeling of I. Okay? Because there's a real strong sense, a, a big fear that I is going to completely disappear. Why? Because the body and mind, which we are so convinced is a solid, inherent thing that is me, it's all changing. Yeah? We're separating from it. You know, And it's have you ever woken up in the morning and you haven't been quite sure of who you are? You ever had that experience? You wake up, and not only are you not sure where you are, but you're really not sure who you are. And then, have you ever kind of watched how very quickly an identity comes and you can almost feel it kind of go whoomp, and there you are, and you know very good and well who you are? Yeah? So I think what's happening is like, You know, it's like we can't bear the thought of not being who we are. We have to have some kind of identity to hold on to. This is me, you know, I am this sex, and I am this nationality, and I am this race, and I have this kind of personality, and I like this, and I don't like this, and people have to treat me this way, and this is who I am, and this is my body, and blah, 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 this whole incredible, the drama of our lives. You know, we're just so incredibly attached to this I that is the central figure in our melodrama, yeah? And so this third kind of craving arises at death of, you know, like, if I don't have this body and this mind and this ego identity, uh uh-oh, you know, this is real scary stuff. Who am I going to be? I might disappear. Okay? And so that's why you see sometimes, you know, when people are dying, they get real frightened and they grab onto their body and they grab onto the bed and they're just really mm-hmm. agitated and nervous because this is happening a lot. I was, I was curious if fear. Oh, I think fear in the sense of when we're afraid of something, we have a lot of aversion for it and we want to be away from the thing we're afraid of. So the craving of fear is the craving to be free from the unpleasant things. So you're saying anything is undesirable and especially fear? Using fear in a very loose general way, not our our western standard of fear. fear. Yeah, yeah. I mean fear is a real interesting one when you start to meditate on it, what really is fear? Because you come to see fear is really related to attachment and it's also very much related to aversion.